0: I want to ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to me, with me to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 this morning, and I'd like us to take a few moments to uh, look today, uh, beginning in verse 2, a a section of Scripture that is very well known, but what I would like to do this morning is to zoom in on it and get a much a closer look at it and then try to break it down as we talk about the great theme of God's will for our life. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old my first year of college. Uh, I came to the Lord uh, out of, I, I would say, a life that would be very typical of a Southerner growing up here in the country uh, back in the 60s and early 70s, um, a nominal religious home. I attended church, but I didn't know the Lord, didn't really understand the Lord, didn't understand how to become a Christian, didn't understand salvation by grace through faith. And then I heard the gospel, and I didn't accept the gospel at first. And then it was during my freshman year that I, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And so very early on in my Christian experience, I began to listen to lots of preaching and teaching, uh, sermons, uh, Bible studies. And of course, one re- repetitive theme that I heard regularly was an emphasis on God's will for your life. And I'm so thankful that I got really good Bible teaching of what that meant in understanding that God had a purpose and a plan for my life individually, uh, not just corporately as a whole, but also individually in what God was doing in my life. So I've always believed in the will of God, God working through our lives, God leading our lives, God guiding our lives. And I would like to say that I, I feel like throughout my life, I have I believe that I've tried to do what the Lord wanted me to do. Not that I didn't have failures and sins and mistakes and, and, and all kinds of things like that. But as far as direction, purpose, uh, it has always been focused on and centered on God's will. And I know that this is a very, very important message for you, particularly at this stage of your life, because of where you are as you are you are in a place really of preparation. You're not in a place of permanency. Uh, one of the weird things about Bob Jones is that, I guess it's the way it is in all colleges, you're excited about coming here, you get here your first day, and then your second day, you're excited about leaving. I don't know how that always works. But but it is that way, and, and, and you're, you you realize this is not a permanent place. Uh, when I graduated from Bob Jones, I, I, I didn't look at the rearview mirror when I took off. I left and I was ready to go and get out and go out and do what God wanted me to do. And yet, in all of that, one thing that's very important for you is God's will, God's purpose, and God's plan. So what I'd like us to do is just to look as carefully as we can. It's not going to be exhaustive, but to do the very best that we can to try to grasp the teaching of what is the will of God for our lives. So let's look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and the focal point will be on the second half of verse 2. Paul is writing, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that is on the basis of God's mercy, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So he's telling us something to do. Verse 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then he says why so that that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God We read it I'm going to read the second half of Romans 12:2 from the ESV because I'm going to go sort of flip back and forth between those two texts to get a greater meaning of the statement And the ESV reads it this way, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we zoom in on this verse this morning, I want us to focus on the phrase where it says, what is the will of God? And the word for what there is what we call the interrogative, to interrogate. Which means to ask questions. So when it says in the ESV, what is the will of God, it is intended to be a question. And of course, that is the question that we ask. What is the will of God? Not just the how, not just the why, but the what. And that's the question that I'd like to try to ask and answer today and tomorrow. Our founder, Bob Jones, Sr. often said, success in life is finding the will of God and doing it. If I were to ask you, do you want to be successful in life? The answer is obviously yes. Uh, Let's put it in the reverse. Who wants to be a failure? You want to win. You don't want to lose. And ultimately, not just in life, but in the life to come. And so success is at a very part of our nature. We recognize that that is a part of being happy. The Bible says we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. We are to seek his blessing. And from that comes a satisfaction, a happiness in life. So our greatest pursuit in life, and you could say it in various ways, to know God, to obey God, to follow God, but we also could say that one of the greatest pursuits of life is doing God's will for our life. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, when your will is God's will, you will have your will. There's this weird tension that we're going to talk about today between what God wants and what I want. And yet there's also this beautiful aspect of Scripture where it says if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. And as as we work through what we want and what God wants, the first thing is His will. And like Spurgeon says, when your will is God's will, you will have your will. All of you today are pursuing The improvement and the betterment of your life through education. That's why you're in school. And what could be more important than to have a clear understanding in your mind what is the will of God. I am so hopeful that you will be able to take God's truth that is so clearly revealed and put that into your life. And that as you go forward, that you will go out doing God's purpose and plan for this life so that you live a life that honors God, pleases God, and fulfills His purpose and mission for your life. What could be more important than that? So let's ask the question, what is the will of God? And let's try to answer it. And I have four points I'm going to share. We'll get through as much as we can today. The first point is this. That, it, that the Bible clearly states that God's will is the plan for your life. God's will is a plan. If you want to use the word purpose, you could use that. If you could want to use the word intention, what he intends for you, because obviously his will is not completely separate from your will. You are involved in that. But as we read the scripture, it says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. The word will there is in reference to God, but it's also understanding. It's just a basic word for will. It means that which is desired or that which is wished. If I were to ask you, have you ever done anything against your will? You would say yes. How many times have you done things you didn't? want to do? Well, in this case, the word will is referring to one's wishes or one's desires. And in this case, this is what God really wants for you. God wants his will for your life, his purpose, his plan, his intentions. Now, let's break that down as it comes out in this passage. And the first thing I'd like to say is that God's will is something that is clearly revealed. How can God have a will for us that he wishes for us and he doesn't make it known to us? So I want you to understand that though God's will does at times seem like a mystery Or a secret, and generally it's not a secret or a mystery, it's more of a timing when it's revealed. Because once it's revealed, it's not a mystery. But the fact of the matter is that God's will for us is something that is revealed. And let me say two things about this. Number one, in general, God's will for all of us has been revealed in the Bible. Uh, For example, let's take Romans, the book of Romans. Of course, it's a long book, 16 chapters. If you know anything about the book of Romans, the first eight chapters have to do with doctrine. The the chapters 9 through 11 deals with the history of how God is going to deal with the Jewish people. And then chapters 12 to the end of the book is much more of a practical how to live out what you believe. And essentially, Christian living is living out in behavior what we believe. It's living out our faith. And our faith is found in how to live, especially in the first eight chapters of the book. So when we look at the book of Romans, we can simply say that everything that Paul has written to the Romans regarding salvation is the will of God for God's people. You cannot know his will apart from his word. And when we speak about the will of God in general, it's the will of God for all of us. So as we read Romans and how we're how are we saved? How are we justified? How are we sanctified? It's not like your process of justification and sanctification is different from somebody's else. Somebody else, it's all the same. It's consistently the same. It's the general will of God. But then let me say secondly, in specific, that God's will is directed and guided in each individual's life. God's will for your life, and God's will for your life, and God's will for your life. It is individually directed and guided. And we know that. How do we know that? Because when we read the book of Romans, Paul speaks in chapter 1 and chapter 15 about his desire to come to minister in the city of Rome as he is wanting to go to Spain to preach the gospel. And all of Paul's steps as you read the Bible are clearly being guided and directed by God as God trusts, as he trusts God to lead him. So there are practical means and practical steps As we seek to try to understand God's will. And that's a part of the process. We have to go through this process in discerning God's will. So Paul is showing us his general will. But also Paul is showing us how he lives. That God has a specific will. And practically for all of us. God has something for us. I mean think about it. Why are you here today? You are here not just because you chose to come here, but God chose for you to come here. We love Him because He what? First love us. If you love God, it's because God loved you first. And if God loved you first, and God has a will for your life, then clearly God has something for you. I mean, all you have to do is when you read the scripture and you see what God did in the life of Jeremiah and Isaiah and David in the Old Testament, and you come to the New Testament with the birth of John the Baptist, and then the birth of Jesus, and we begin to realize all of these people were living out what God in eternity had planned to do. It's almost... Mind blowing to think about it because sitting here it's not always easy to see that, but God has a clearly revealed plan. Secondly, I'd like to say that God's will always creates a tension in your life. In other words, when we follow God's plan, there is with that both peace and and tension. And why is that? Because as Paul reveals it here in Romans 12, God's will stands in direct opposition to the world. Look at what he says in verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me say it this way. The wishes and the desires of the Father for your life will stand in direct opposition to the natural wishes of your own sinful heart. Let me ask you a question. How many of you came to Bob Jones University knowing that God wanted you here, but you actually had a struggle or a tension in your heart about coming here? How many of you experienced that? Raise your hand. Put it up. Okay. That's a large number of people. I got two hands up. I've come here twice, once as a student and secondly as a president. And I never got here without a struggle. And there was a lot of struggling going on in our heart, in my heart. And I want you to understand that doing the will of God, we have a tendency to think that doing the will of God, there's this like overwhelming peace. And there is a peace, by the way. But generally, for most of us, there is a struggle, there is a tension. And a part of that tension has to do with the fact that the world stands in direct opposition to the will of God. Listen to 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not any. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. When you read the Scripture, it is very clear that the present world that we're living in, that is fallen and corrupt and in the bondage to sin is going to live out in opposition to God. And that world is not just outside, but it's on the inside of our own hearts. And so therefore, from a natural standpoint, there will always be a tension with what God wants and with what we want within our own heart. That is a fact. That's not just a struggle in coming here, but that's also a struggle sometimes in being here. This doesn't mean that what I always want is always wrong. But there is just the natural struggle between what I want and what God wants. And therefore, I have to learn to live in opposition to my own natural desires. What did Jesus say? If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. So self-denial is a part of learning the will of God for your life. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, if you don't mind, I've shared this before, but I, I'd like to share it again. Uh, one of the great things about working in a, in a school like this is in four years, everybody leaves so you can use the same illustrations. But um, I I first dated my wife, my wife, Terry. We have been married uh, now for 42 and a half years. Our first date was here on the campus of Bob Jones University. What a romantic place. And back in those days, we only had two places where we could go out on a date. We had two options. And by the way, we could not, well, actually three options. I, should, I could say the dining common, but that was back, it was a little weird back then. And uh, it's very different than today. But we had only two places we could go. We could either go to Alumni Stadium and watch a soccer match, or you could go to the to the gym to watch a basketball game, a society game, or you could go to what was called the dating parlor. The dating parlor is up where the hub is, and we used to call it the passion pit because there was like you know a hundred love seats. You, un- you understand what I'm saying? And uh, and you'd only get two hours, so that's all you had. And those are the places that you could go. My first date was was uh with with my my future wife, we went to alumni we went to alumni stadium for a soccer game. And after our first date, and, and and we had met before, we had actually I won't go through the history of how we met, but we had met before, about a year before, and uh after the first date, I walked away and in my heart of hearts I thought, Lord, if it's your will, I would like to marry that girl. I never dated anybody else here. I was never interested in anybody else. I was just interested in that girl. And yet in my own heart, I didn't know what God's will was. And by the way, I was not going to manipulate her by telling her that she was God's will for my life. Beware of any guy that uses God to manipulate his will. Okay? Let me put that one out. Thank you. You know. Maybe I should say that one more time and get an amen from the guys. Because guys have a tendency to... Guys are... Well, guys and girls are both manipulators. I mean, that's just a fact. But you can use God to manipulate your will. And I'm not going to do that. I didn't want to do that. I wanted God to make it clear. And when I began to... We began to develop a relationship. The whole time I was praying, God, I want to do your will. And I want to say that I prayed that all the way up to the time we got married. Lord, I only want your will. Now, I haven't prayed it that much since I got married because that's God's will. But, but my point is that there has to be this yielding up of what you want. God, I want to do what you want me to do. And then the third thing I want to say under God's will is a plan is that therefore God's will must be individually pursued and proven throughout your life. The Bible says that by testing you may discern or prove what is God's will. And that testing is in the present tense. It's not something that you do at a point in time in your life and you've arrived. It's what you do throughout all of your life. I think I pray more now for the will of God than I've ever prayed for in my whole life. And it is something that we are to do. It is a day by day and moment by moment practice. And Jesus shows us what this means by the way that we li- by the way that He lived, because we see this throughout His words, especially in the Gospel of John. Just listen to some of these statements. John four thirty four. Jesus said, "My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work." John 5, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. John 5:30. I can do nothing of my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Listen to this one in John 6:37. because the will is used over and over. He says, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And he says in John 7:17, 7, if anyone will to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. John 9, 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And then we know that when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, what was his prayer? He knew that God had called him to go to the cross. And yet even in his prayer, he said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That's just human nature. I I take great comfort in that Jesus struggled. He struggled with his father's will. Nevertheless, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And we see in Christ the way that we're to live. Is it wrong for me to struggle with God's will? The answer is no. Because a part of the mystery and a part of the the secret of it is in that process of struggling and seeking and asking and finding that God will show me his will so that when it is revealed, I am confident that this is what he wants me to do. And I will not turn away from what God has called me to do. So this point of a struggle is very, very, very important. So he tells us. The will of God is something that we must individually and daily pursue. And then number two, the second aspect of God's will, we'll get as far as we can. We have a few moments left and I'll come back to it tomorrow. But I want to say that God's will is not only a plan, but God's will has some prerequisites to it. And as we go back and look at our text of Scripture, where it says in the King James, he says that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And the ESV says that by testing you may discern. The key word is the word that. Because that word that is a preposition. It reads it this way, in order that. It's connecting. What, what what Paul has told you to do before is in order to get you to this point. It's a prerequisite. Because of this, he's saying you can now do this. You can't get there until you get here. You can't get to English 102 until you survive English 101. There are prerequisites. Everybody here understands that. So finding the will of God in my life has some prerequisites to it. And what are those? And as we look at these two passages of Scripture, verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12, he says there's two primary prerequisites. The first is found in verse 1 where we are to devote ourselves, and particularly we are to present our bodies to God as a sacrifice. In other words, we are to live our lives for the Lord. We are to surrender to him. The great battle of the Christian life is always the surrender of our will. And that's not just our will, but it's what we do with our bodies, what we do with our hands and our feet and our mouth and our eyes and our ears, what we do with the strength of our youth. We are to devote ourselves completely and fully to God. That's the first step. I want to ask you, have you come to that place in your life where you have given God everything? From the time I was saved until the time I felt like I had really surrendered to God, everything was a process. I wish it would have all come at once, but God began to work in my life and show me many things that I had not surrendered to him. And some of your experience here as a student is going to be God revealing to you, okay, you need to surrender this. You need to give this. Don't hold on to that. Let God have everything. And then secondly, he says in verse 2, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a presentation of your body and a transformation of your mind. And in specific, this transformation of your mind, this changing the way that you think, starts when you change your relationship to the prevailing culture in which we live or the world in which we live. In other words, I can't think the way God wants me to think, the transformation of my mind, until I stop thinking the way I've been thinking. I've got to change my mind. And the hardest thing to change is your mind. The way that you think about things. There's a natural way and there's a God way. There's a, there is a world and there is a will of God. So what does Paul say here? He says, don't. Be conformed to this world. That is, don't let your mind be controlled by the prevailing culture that is anti-God, but let your mind be renovated through God in his word that you think his thoughts after him. And he says, this is the steps you have to take to know the will of God. Because if you're still operating in a worldly mindset, then how can you know and pursue the will of God for your life? So, I'm going to put my foot on the brake and stop. Because I didn't even get through point two and we got two more points after this. But I want to be real clear. God's will can be known. There's nothing more wonderful than to find the will of God for your life and to do it. But it begins when you decide, I'm not going to let the world shape my life, my values, my morals, my thinking. I'm going to be different. And we'll expand on that idea tomorrow as we come back to learn what is the will of God. Father, thank you for the time we've had together. And I pray you'll bless it tomorrow as we finish up, particularly for all of those that are here, that they will know, they will seek, they will pursue your will in all things, and you'll lead and guide them in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day.